Amen. You guys are all looking good this morning. To just tail onto what Pastor was saying about we honor our, our servicemen and women. I saw him running around. Dylan Thomas is in the house. It's good to have Dylan. Amen. Well, the snow came, and it's uh, starting to melt a little bit, but with the snow comes that feeling of the season that we're in. We are halfway through November, which is crazy, and before long, we'll be full-fledged into Christmas. Now, I've been able to reveal a little bit to you guys in the past about how we feel about Christmas at our house. We're early birds. We have two trees up right now, and uh, one, one is Jenny's tree. It's upstairs for all to see. It's the pretty tree. It has proper uniform decor. Everything matches nicely. It has a color scheme. My tree is downstairs. It has everything on it. It's a colored light tree with ornaments that make sense and ornaments that don't. And that's kind of how I grew up uh, with, with that kind of tree. Who here would be brave enough to admit that you have your tree up? Raise your hand. Right there. Look at, look at this. Look at this. You're a slacker. <laughs> wow, that is awesome. I took full advantage of the weather on Thursday. If you guys were out and about on Thursday, my goodness, 75 degrees. I looked at Jenny and I said, is it improper for me to be outside in flip-flops in, in mid-November? She said, that's fine. So I was out there and we got lights on the outside of the house. We are all good to go. And so then when the snow hit, I was like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> I got it. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like to encourage you to find the book of Mark. It's the second book in the New Testament. And I'd like to have you turn to chapter 5. There's a portion of Scripture I'd like to share with you this morning. And it's actually Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. I will not read all 20 verses, but if you're looking for the full account of what I'm sharing with you today, you can find it in that portion of Scripture. In the late, 90, late 80s, I'm sorry, I was 17 and I got my first job. And in the midst of that, I met all sorts of wonderful people. Wonderful, interesting people. I worked in Sparta. And at 17, I was a, a little um, naive as to all the sorts of people that are out there. And so I felt like that I got a chance to work with every kind of person that was out there. One in particular I'd like to introduce you to this morning. His name was Chuck. And Chuck was about a year and a half older than me. And so he was, he was already about 19 when I started working with Chuck. Chuck was a, a shorter fellow. He was about 5'5". Five, five. Chuck was very pale. And in the late 80s, everyone had long hair. So Chuck had long hair. And when I said, 
hey, Chuck, I'm John. Or I said, hey, I'm John. Nice to meet you. He's like, you know, that's cool, dude. My name's Chuck. And you can call me Chuck. And so Chuck, Chuck was known for the way that he spent his weekends and just about every weeknight. And Chuck was a super nice guy, super friendly, and he was fine to work with. But Chuck was what we referred to at that time as burnt. <laughs> okay? So, um, anyway, maybe have this picture of Chuck. Chuck was big into rock and roll music, dude. And Chuck started a band. And Chuck played lead guitar and jammed out with his band. And I said, Chuck, what's the name of your band? He said, Padded Cell. <laughs> I said, all right, Chuck, Padded Cell. Woo. And, and why, I don't know. But my boss decided that during the, the company Christmas party, he was going to hire Padded Cell to come play at our Christmas party. Padded Cell. And I was at the Christmas party. I went to the Christmas party. And they just played loud. They looked like they were having a good time. I couldn't understand anything they were saying. In any case, Padded Cell and Chuck became a little bit of part of my life. And so Chuck and I worked together for a few years, and then Chuck left. And I didn't hear a lot about Chuck. I did hear that Chuck had moved to Tennessee, which I thought was good because a lot of the people that Chuck was running with in the Sparta area wasn't good for Chuck. And Chuck so Chuck needed a new start, and I was happy for him that he got a chance to move to Tennessee. Years passed. And someone asked me if I had heard anything from Chuck. And I said, I haven't. They said, well, Chuck is an associate pastor in Tennessee. <laughs> what? <laughs> the Chuck that I know, the Chuck that I worked with, the padded cell Chuck, he's an associate pastor in Tennessee. So I reach out to Chuck. Through Facebook, I find Chuck, and Chuck loves Jesus, and it blows me away, because if anyone, if God, if God can save Chuck, not only save him, but call him to the ministry where Chuck is now sharing the love of Jesus with people that he comes in contact with, what can he do with me? What can he do with you? What can he do with that person that you're like, that's Chuck. And you don't even think that they stand a chance because of their life, their attitude, their decisions. But Chuck now makes his decisions based on this. Mind-boggling. So the title of my message this morning is the big change. And in Mark chapter 5, there is an account given to us of arguably, arguably, one of the biggest changes ever recorded. And so, I'm not, as I said, I'm not going to read this entire account, but I'm just going to catch you up to speed. Jesus and his disciples go across the sea in a boat, 
they land in this area. And when they get there, the Bible tells us that a man possessed with demons met them. And that's not necessarily, I'm sure, how the disciples expected this particular voyage to go. When you get off of the boat and all of a sudden someone meets you that is demon-possessed, I have no idea in this room of those who have had an encounter or an experience that the Bible fully documents because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I've heard pastor tell on countless occasions of an elderly lady in Cutler. How vivid that is still in your mind. I had a similar encounter in Willisville where we were called to go over to a gentleman's house and his son and I were the same age and so I was about 19. And so the boy, we found him in his bedroom foaming at the mouth, facing the wall when we went in. He didn't see us walk in, but immediately verbally identified who we were. And I knew this guy, and that voice wasn't his voice. And when he spoke with his eyes rolled back in his head and foam coming out of his mouth, he wasn't being controlled by his own will. He was being controlled by that of a demon. And in case you don't know, it's real. It's as real as the chair you're sitting in. And so don't be so naive as to think this doesn't happen. It does. And so the disciples got their first real experience of what this was like. And this man, we don't know a lot about him, all right? I don't know how the demons got there. I will say this real quick, and some of you will hate this, and some of you will just be able to receive it. It's up to you. But when we were at this young man's house and and three or four preachers, and there was a time where we were just praying over him and, and the demons eventually had to go. The head pastor, the head preacher, who was very skilled in this, said, tell me, demon, and the demon identified himself. I could tell you his name, but I don't want it in your mind. The demon identified himself, and the pastor said, by what rights are you here? By what rights are you invading this man's life? And he said, Two things give me rights to be here. One is this young man has had Ouija board experience. And two, and he pointed in the corner, and the guy had a stack of cassette tapes this tall of all the heavy metal music, all the demon-possessed music that is out there. Don't be naive to think that there's not. He said, by those two things, I have rights to be here. He has opened up his life, and I am allowed to be here. And so we had to begin to deal with that situation. What this man went through, I don't know. Why he had demons in him, we're not told. But here are some things that we do know. And I want you to look at verse 5 of Mark chapter 5. It says, and always, day and night, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. What an awful picture. His dwelling was in the mountains and in the cemetery. That's where he hung out. And I begin to wonder, what, what is going through this man's life that can help me? Because I don't live in the tombs. 
mountains. I don't live in the mountains, okay? But what are some things that he was going through that we can relate to? And the first thing I saw was this. He was alone. He had no home. If he did, that's where he would be. But he was in the mountains and in the tombs. And one of the greatest lies of the enemy is that no one else knows what you're going through. You're all alone. And the enemy says, pick up your phone and look at everyone on Facebook who's enjoying life. And it's awesome for everyone else but you. And he wants to alienate you. What does the wolf do? He doesn't attack the flock with the shepherd. He waits and for, for an alienation to happen when that sheep is off by itself and he will attack. One of the, the lies of the enemy through COVID-19 was we can survive on our own. We can be alone and we can't. We need each other. I need you. There are so many times that I will come to church and I will be thinking of a certain one of you. And I'm hoping to see you. And I'm hoping to get to talk to you. And I'm hoping that you have a word of encouragement for me. And you're not here. And I understand things happen. But so often we think we can make it alone. And I can stay at home and I can miss. I don't have, you know, the once a month, once every six weeks. Can you imagine if I treated my marriage that way? Once every six weeks I'm going to kiss my wife. Once every six weeks, we're going to have a conversation. Once every six weeks, I might bump into her and just check and see how things are going. It won't work. That won't last very long. And the same is true with our relation, in our relationship with the Lord. We need him and we need each other. We need to be together. Hebrews 10.25 says, You should not stay away from or neglect or forsake the church meetings, as some are doing. But you should encourage each other, and even more so as the Lord's return approaches. I don't have to go to church. You don't. But you should. I need you. We need each other. And this man didn't have that. See, God made us, he is our creator, and he designed us, and he said right away in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make an help meet or a companion for him. Adam had it made in paradise, in the garden with all these wonderful animals, and, and I'm sure the, the flowers were beautiful and the temperature, the climate was always awesome, but God said, it's not good that man be alone. I will make someone for him. Now this demonic Gadriac was alone and he was accepting the fact that there was no one else that wanted to be with him and no one else like him. And something else that I see, it's the Bible says, not only was he in the mountains and in the tombs, but the Bible specifically says he was crying. And I read into this that he was depressed. I don't know if depression was something that was as prevalent as it is today, maybe 50 years ago. Sure, we got down, but there was just something, something different. I know that, that as I grow older, I hear more. People are just depressed. And that's where the enemy wants to keep us. You know, one way we are, we are depressed is when we 
focus inwardly. If I spend all day in front of the mirror trying to please myself and focus on me, mine, and my, that just won't go very far. But the moment that pastor's like, hey, I need some help with something, or someone else says, hey, you know, in this situation, would you, would you help me? Would you, would you focus on this, this need and, and let's pray or let's do something? It gets my mind off of me and it gets my mind on others. And when you're looking at service and love and, and just being a help, as Pastor was talking about the helps that we need, that gets your mind off you. If you come to church and you just think about you and you just need to be fed and you just wish that Pastor would preach on this and you wish we'd sing this song, I mean, we all battle that. But if you, if you dwell on that, you won't have the same experience as if you come in and you say, I don't know that much about security and door greeting and helps, but I'm willing to be a part of it. I don't know about being in a classroom and please don't ask me to teach, but I can play a game with the kids or I can be there to take attendance. It's a different mindset. But depression had set in on this, this demon-possessed man. One of my favorite movies blow you away and most of... If you're under 30, I can't think that you've ever heard of this movie. But it's called It's a Wonderful Life. Originally, it was in black and white. Jimmy Stewart as George Bailey. And one of my favorite lines is a very gripping line. It's early on in the movie. But the angels are talking about George Bailey and what to do to help him in his situation. And so Clarence, the angel, is called in to help George. And Clarence said, I'll go right away and I'll help him. Is he sick? And the lead angel says, no, Clarence, worse. He's discouraged. And it's harder to bounce back from discouragement than it's harder to bounce back from depression than it might even be a sickness. They're tough. They're not easy. And it's something that we all battle. And this particular gentleman, the Bible says here he was in the mountains and the tombs. And he was crying. You know, David went through moments of depression. He battled it. In Psalms 69, verse, verses 19 and 20, David said, God, you know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. Insults have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. You ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like you're looking for someone to give you a word of encouragement, and, and you're just by yourself? Or maybe you don't even feel like sharing what you're going through, and you feel alone. And David felt that. I can relate to that. This demon-possessed man could relate to it. So he was alone, maybe you've been there. He was depressed, maybe you've been there. And then the last thing in verse 5, it tells us he cut himself with stones. And I just put, he practiced self-harm. And what a scary, scary lie that is from the enemy that you can get whatever or you deserve whatever. Through self-harm. The Bible tells me that God's desire is that I prosper and be in health. 
And so to do something like that to, to my body really violates 1 Corinthians 6.19. And it says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. See, he was giving more and more place to the devil, this demon-possessed man, because he was doing something contrary to the word of God. And God gives us all a choice. He gives us all a free will. But if you're going to walk in disobedience, if you're going to walk in, you know, choose, there's blessings and cursings and life and death. And if you're going to choose cursings and you're going to choose death, there are consequences that come with those choices. And so here he was making the decision whether the demon was controlling him or he was convinced that this was the right thing to do, but he was harming himself and cutting himself with stones. And so, you know, Look at the picture that, that the Bible gives us of this man and how the disciples must have felt when they met this guy as they got off the boat. He looked rough. He sounded rough. He smelled rough. He was rough. But there was something that happened that I call the big change. Look at verse 15 of Mark chapter 5. And before I read that, Angie, just give me a second. Before I read this, when Jesus encounters you in the midst of your problem, he is extremely interested. In fact, it's the most important thing on his mind is you and your problem. And so when he met this man, maybe you've heard this account before, Jesus said, tell me your name. And he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. He had many demons in him. And Jesus commanded the demons to leave. They went into a big herd of pigs. The pigs went crazy and went off a cliff and drowned. But Jesus is more concerned with you than he's concerned with pigs. That wasn't his issue. He was more concerned with this demonic gadriac than he was with this big herd of swine. And the man encountered the love and the goodness of Jesus. And it changed him completely. And the demons had to go because at the name of Jesus, Satan can't stand. He can't abide where Jesus is being proclaimed. And Jesus' goodness and his love was shining bright. And here's what happened when the townspeople heard of the situation and of Jesus encountering this demon-possessed man. They ran out to find him, and this is what they found, verse 15. And they came to Jesus, and they saw him that was possessed with the devil, that had the legion, and what was he doing? He was sitting, and he was clothed, and he was in his right mind. Oh, my. This man who no man could tame, they would try to chain him, the Bible tells us, and he would break the chains. They tried to contain him, but he couldn't be contained. They tried to bring him into a civilized culture. That didn't happen. They weren't successful. But when Jesus encountered him, do you see the change from alone and depressed and self-harm? Look at this now. He was sitting 
Now look, um, if you tell me that, you know, there's a bomb that's about ready to go off in this facility, I'm probably going to be like this, or I'm going to be out that door. But you probably won't find me. Uh, here. Because when stress and problems and the enemy gets a hold of your ear, you can't sit. Everything's a problem. You worry and you chew and you dwell. But how'd they find him? He was sitting. He had the peace of God which passes all understanding and it was keeping his heart and mind through Christ Jesus. He was experiencing the fruit of the Spirit. He had peace all over him. In John 14, 27, Jesus says this to us, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. It's not as the world gives. It's not found in a bottle. It's not found in a needle. It's not found in self-harm. It's not found in addictions. You can try it. It's not there. Peace is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. So let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Not only was he sitting, but then the Bible tells us he was clothed. Now, why is that important? Well, I guess if there's a specific time to mention that he was clothed, that means that he was probably running around naked. I'm just going to assume that. Because when you are in your sin, what does nakedness represent? Shame. When you are in your sin, the enemy wants to beat you up constantly with shame. He loves it. Look, he says, look at what you did. Remember what you said? Remember where you went? Do you remember what you watched? Oh, if you were really a, a child of God, you wouldn't have done all that. And he wants to beat you up with your past. And Jesus doesn't. He doesn't. So he was clothed. Jesus and his love causes us to see that we are naked. What happened when, when Adam and Eve sinned? Well, the Bible says they hid themselves. And, and God said, where are you? Oh, we're, we're hiding. Why are you hiding? Because we're naked. Well, who told you? So you sinned. And now you know that there is shame. But good news. Your shame doesn't have to keep you down. I provided my blood to pay for that sin, to pay for that shame. You don't have to walk that way anymore with your head down. You don't have to walk beat up and defeated. You now are clothed in the righteousness of God. Job 29, 14 says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My judgment was like a robe. So he was now aware of his need for a savior. And when they found him, he was sitting and he was clothed. And there's one other thing that he was. He was in his right mind. I say this, he now had a focus that he didn't have before. He now had a perspective that he didn't have before. Once we receive Jesus, our mind is renewed. Now, it is there for us. We can make a choice to continue to walk and make decisions in our carnal mind. We can, but we don't have to. We can make a decision in our renewed mind. 
Romans 12, 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Pastor spoke on it just a while back, 2 Timothy 1, 7. God hasn't given us fear, but he's given us power and love and a sound mind. And Isaiah 26, 3 says, God, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. So thankful. So thankful that the peace of God and the focus of God and the righteousness of God overwhelmed this demonic man and he experienced the big change. So how does this relate to us? There was a time I didn't know Jesus. And if you're saved and you've accepted Jesus into your life, there was a time where you did not know Jesus. We call it B.C. It was before Christ. And I walked in depression and I walked in loneliness. I walked in condemnation. But then Christ came. And he changed everything. And I can testify of the greatest decision I've ever made is to ask Jesus to come into my life. And he did. And he changed me. And he took my sin and my shame away. And because of his grace and his goodness and his love, I live a different life now. I sit in peace. And I'm clothed in his righteousness. And I have the mind of Christ. He made my chains fall off. He took my fear away. And I've made a decision. Now every song I sing, it'll be for him. I'm sure if the demonic Gadrach was here this morning, that's what he would say. Because I know what he wanted to do. He wanted to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, no, go home and tell what great things God's done for you. And I don't know. Maybe he was able to find the love of his life, get married, have a family. Maybe one day he put his kids up on his knee. Let me tell you about dad. Dad was in a rough spot. In a place that no one was able to help but God. Then Christ came and he changed everything. And the dad that you know is the dad that he brought to you. And that man I used to be, he doesn't live here anymore. So maybe that's what God's wanting you to know this morning. Whether you are a Christian and you've been a Christian for 50 years, but you still battle loneliness and depression and shame, 
He has come to take that away. You don't have to live there. You don't have to dwell there. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus and you want to. You can't be in worse shape than this guy was. Nobody could touch him and he had no life. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life. Not only just life, but abundant life. Good life. So I don't want you to leave today without making that decision. And we're going to sing a song. If there's anything you need, pastors here, there are elders up here. This is the place. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe you just need to come and just lay things down and just worship God and say, God, I'm not going to walk in my loneliness or my depression or my shame anymore. I'm going to love on you and trust you. So this time is what we call ministry time. It's a reflection of the word that God's brought forth and now what you want to do with it. This time is for you. There will be a day, if it hasn't happened already, a day when we have the choice to choose life or death. And we all need a Jesus encounter. There's a difference. We can see it in people who are living in the truth. We can see how they're led by love. Jesus changed the kind that John was talking about is radical. Christ came and met us in our loneliness, our brokenness, our depression. Whatever the case was, he saw our need for him. He hears you today. He hears your heart. And he changes everything if you let him. It's an open invitation today but it's a personal one to you.
so bad inside that that relieves them of the pain that's on the inside of them. So it's not something he's choosing to do. He's doing that out of desperation. And what's so awesome about it is Jesus takes care of all of that. And you know, if you're here and you never asked Jesus in your heart or if you're by the internet right now and never have, it's so simple, it's ridiculous. I can remember holding on to the pew, just terrified to just say yes to him. But once I did, then everything's taken care of. So if you're out there today, just pray with me right now. And everybody pray with me. Say, Father, I thank you that you took care of everything and died for me. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins, all of my past, present, and future. Thank you for receiving me and changing my life forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Call you blessed. If you prayed that, come and talk to me or get a hold of us uh, by telephone. God is a good God. He took care of everything for us. We just have to receive it. 
we have a meeting immediately in the room where the lion's at. And if you don't go, he's going to get you. No. Call you blessed. Be involved. Get involved.